Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle. So join me, Hattie, and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. Wednesday evening in end of March. A little cosy, cosy corner in Hattie's house. Rebecca, this is her first time in my new pad. Uh, what do you think about the new pad? So far away from my pad. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it. It's very you. Thank you. And to be fair, this is like a perfect podcasting room. It is very quiet, isn't it? Very quiet, very cosy, like good, good acoustics. Oh, acoust. Hashtag acoust. Yeah, it's nice. And it's also like my little reading room oh. that I go on my phone in. <laughs> you know read, what I mean? Read your messages. And I also put my laptop on this shelf that no one can see. And, Good audio content, um, Hattie. And I watch telly sat on the futon. <laughs> futon. futon. You're really living that like journalism life. It, um, yeah. Middle class, 20 year old with her futon in South London. Her foot on her futon. On her futon. So today, this is our first, I guess, like... No, it's not, actually. It's not our first chatty episode, but it's our first one in a while. Yeah. Obviously, we love interviews. And they are so, you know, important and restorative. But also, a lot of what we do is on Instagram and the blogs and everything is talking about current issues or just mm. like having a bit of a laugh half the time pretty funny and um we kind of feel like it would be nice to be able to share this with everyone not just our patrons so patrons patrons on patreon we'll go with patrons so we saw, we're still going to do our patreon episodes but they're going to be more like stupid a laugh so go over there if you want to have just a bit of a laugh. I mean, this might have some laughing, hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> hopefully. Let's see how funny we you're can getting... make the BBC singers being asked. You're getting so stressed that your glasses are fogging up. I'm actually quite, yeah, I'm like, because when we record our Patreon episodes, it's very much like we don't have that many plans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just do them ad lib and it's like, fine. But to know that this is on the main feed, it's like an extra bit of pressure, isn't it? Mm. But it's fine. It's all good. It We're chill. Be- we're just us, you know? Yeah, and I think, yeah, to start off with current affairs, the most current thing that's going on at the moment is more funding cuts and BBC singers being axed and 20% of BBC orchestras positions being cut. Uh, so we thought it would be good to have a little meltdown about that. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, when I first heard it, I didn't really know what to think, mm. which I know sounds like, what you weren't outraged but i just remember having no emotion Mm. because it almost wasn't a surprise yeah so i i guess 
Now it's been a few weeks on. Lots of things have happened. There's been lots of backlash. And I guess Twitter at the moment still is just like people shouting Mm. about how important it is and how it should exist. And, you know, I guess we're slightly at risk of it being very much still like we're talking to people that agree with us. You know, we're talking within the industry a lot. Yes. And obviously there has been some more high profile coverage. But yeah, I don't know. I guess we don't want it to run out of steam. But I'm slightly running out of steam with it all. I think it kind of comes back to we often don't feel that outraged or we kind of expect these sort of headlines because we've just come to kind of not tolerate, but like just expect more things to be cut. Yeah. How do you feel about it, though? The orchestra one, I think, especially I'm interested. I think as a freelancer or when you're auditioning for orchestras, you're always kind of looking at these salaried positions as kind of utopia at music college i was always taught that having a job in an orchestra was the top of the pile that's like where you should be aiming for anyway that kind of sidetracked from what i meant to say which was that yeah if you remove secure positions it kind of takes away some of the structure of being Mm. an orchestral musician or the kind of what you're aiming for i guess for a lot of people Because even if you're not aiming for that, it still kind of pulls the rug out from under your feet a little bit. Yeah, that's so true. It's quite hard to put that into words, that feeling of like, even if that's not part of my plan, just knowing that 20% less salaried, secure positions for musicians, you know, Mm. it really made me think as well about the discrimination at work Mm. and the vulnerability of freelancers and the BBC basically kind of saying on one level, they're not our responsibility yeah also i kind of thinking a lot about you know college and like how college felt so much like a lot of people were aiming for those jobs and now what's the impact of seeing so much of that cut well and there there were never enough jobs for everybody to have in the first instance not even a tiny amount and i was saying to you earlier like whose responsibility is it the music college's responsibility to take fewer students so Mm. that the You know, the industry isn't as saturated. Or could you say that, I mean, maybe the sort of drop in audiences, is that being made up with more alternative projects? Mm. You know, more people going to like slightly more obscure classical events? I don't know. You know, maybe people don't want to listen to a symphony orchestra as much anymore. Yeah. Maybe they're more interested in, you know, chamber music or contemporary music or opera. Even that in itself seems unlikely. (laughs) It does. It does. It's just a thought. All right. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. I can't get a ticket to go see Eno Akhenaten. That's true, actually. It's crazy. Honestly, everyone's like, we can maybe squeeze you in with a £10 standing ticket. It's incredible. It's pretty incredible. I think maybe because it's quite a short, like, run. Mm. But also, our previous guest, Ella Taylor, they are in the production. Yes. Which is amazing. So cool. Which was another reason I was quite devastated I couldn't go. But, like... Yeah. You know, I, in a way, I was like, that is actually brilliant that I can't get to see something at the ENO. That is a very positive. Yeah, it feels like a weird kind of positive. It's like, yeah. wow. And yeah. Any other final thoughts? Well, just to go back to kind of the education side of thing, like as a teacher, I, just, like, I have one student at the moment, admittedly a piano student, that he really wants to do music. And I'm sat there like, you know, how, what do I say when he Mm. asks me if he should do music because of course I want to say yes like you know you're a brilliant musician do 
what you love and it's amazing that he has this enthusiasm that he's basically nurtured himself like of course I've been there but he's very much taken it and run with it Mm. and really like listens to music outside of our lessons and like finds things that he wants to play and I'm like well you're the ideal candidate to go and do music but is are you it's empty encouragement yeah yeah And, and then on the other hand I have a parent whose children want to do music and she keeps saying well obviously that's a ridiculous idea like I would never <laughs> let them do music and she looks at me as if she she's expecting me to agree with her and I want to be like well <laughs> god that's so hard because it's like we're constantly saying you know you hear people who are parents are like well you should be you should do a real job like be a doctor or a lawyer mm. or but there's part of me that's like I get that a bit more now with yeah. all these cuts I'm like but then mm. even then it's like, well, is a job in the NHS gonna oh, go the nurse strikes yeah, and true. the teacher strikes and rails strikes? Just don't get a job. Just don't work. <laughs> I actually often think about this. I'm like, isn't it crazy that as a human you have to work? Isn't it? I mean not if you're like a member of the Yeah. Um Go on. I actually have no idea what you're about to say. I'm really intrigued. The Fabergé egg family. Oh <laughs> <laughs> what are they called? the eggs <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the royal family but then I was like you they work <laughs> <laughs> spicy aristocracy or you know being a kept woman or whatever but a kept woman I also remember my cello teacher when I was like 14 which was probably the no actually about 15 it was like towards the kind of peak of my like crazy obsession with the cello I was like I want to be a cellist I've decided and I remember her saying you really shouldn't be a cellist unless you absolutely have to. Oof. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I never really knew what that meant. But she was like, look, it's... She would tell me so honestly. She'd be like, it's really, really, really hard. Conservatoire is terrifying. It's really stressful, blah, 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 blah. So much competition. She said, only if you can't think of anything else you want to do should you do this. But that's also the kind of worst position if you're just doing it from a place of like I've got nothing else but then I kind of then that's why I kind of did nothing else because I was like I need to prove that this is what I should be doing because she's told me if I if I enjoy anything else then I should do that instead wow anyway I wonder whether anybody out there has ever had (laughs) is there anybody listening (laughs) (laughs) um whether anybody out there has ever had full support of their parents and full support of their teacher <laughs> to go and be a musician. And their parents aren't allowed to be musicians, or should they be? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like most people have had one, at least one party that's yeah, kind been of sceptical. Sceptical or downright just like trying to block them becoming a musician. Cock block. The musical cock block. Do you want that on the main feed? Yes. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> So you have come out of another audition, another audition without success. Success, just to put it mildly and remind Objectively. you, if you forgot. Oh, thanks, Hattie. Um, so this was for Igbo. Well, I want to say what it was for. It was for an orchestra. It was from an orchestra up in the north, leveling up. Leveling up. I was trying to do. Everybody she was a trying favor. to level up. Okay. <laughs> she was trying to level the fuck up, and she wasn't yeah. allowed. I wasn't allowed. They said, "Stay in London. Keep the culture <laughs> in the centre of London, please." <laughs> So, 
This has now been one of a number of the last six months, I guess. Even like a year. Or just like, a year. It's just been yeah. constant trumpet auditions. So tell us about how you're feeling now after like basically always having an audition to work towards. I hate it. Like it's such an artificial way to have the majority of your practice structured sitting in a practice room playing excerpts for a year is the worst way to try and fuel your passion for music. I was pretty crushed by this one actually because I plucked up the courage to go for my first lesson Mm. after music college and I even went back to academy which I was really nervous about for this lesson and you know it felt like I'd really prepared and I was feeling really confident so it felt even more crushing to not have had any success because I felt like I really put in a lot of effort Mm. which is funny because I often I mean I think a lot of people have the sense of sometimes you don't put effort into something because you don't want to be rejected and feel like you actually deserve to be rejected because you put in all the effort that you could and you still didn't get any success Whereas there's a comfort in, well, if I don't go for a lesson or I don't play my excerpts to people, I don't put in this effort, then, you know, if I don't get anything from it... No time wasted. No time wasted and it's not a real reflection. There's something subconscious about, like, it's not a real reflection of me anyway. It was just me trying to fit it in. That's so true. So when you'd finished playing your excerpts, Mm. like, completely honestly, like, I know you don't want to sound arrogant or whatever... But did you think you had a good shot at maybe getting a second round? Did you feel like, oh, you know, this is on the level that I think I could get a second it was round? A, it was a mixed feeling because I knew there were only four excerpts um, and I'm really messed up one of them. But I also played two of them, what I thought was really well, mm. and one of them kind of fine. So that shows that like, yeah, okay, you made a slip up, but actually, yeah. generally, you nailed it. Yeah, it's tricky. But yeah, I got more nervous than I thought I would in this one. And like overall, I'd say the past year or so of doing semi-regular auditions has been a really good experience in terms of just getting better at auditions in general. Mm -hmm. Because that's always been... I've never been good at performing. I've never enjoyed performing that much like solo Mm. stuff. Mm -hmm. I enjoy playing in an orchestra but playing excerpts by myself or even solo pieces by myself has never really vibed with me very well. So having done so many auditions has been a really good practice in doing auditions. But that's so fun. As you're saying that, I'm just thinking like, yes, but you're practising to be a kind of soloist. You're not practising, you're not really showing them yourself as an orchestral musician. Yeah. It's really odd. It's the thing of like what, what I take from this last one that I did was that I'm still not where I'd like to be in terms of performing in an audition. Mm. So therefore, I clearly have to do more audition practice, which really ultimately just means doing more auditions, which is not what I want to do because I just feel so at the point where I'm kind of done auditioning, Mm. at least for now. Mm. Does that feel empowering or does that feel like a risk? Or It does feel like a risk because it's like, well, how am I going to get any new work? And I guess there's always a thing of, like, you can go and play to people in an orchestra and hope that, you know, they give you some extra work. Like, if you go for a lesson and say, can I play to you as kind of an audition to be an extra? Like, there are cases where that happens. 
Good, that's another thing, though, that's a really unwritten rule. Yeah. That's so interesting. So, yeah, it? now it feels like if I decide not to audition, I have to find another way to, like, weasel my way in. Mm. Is there something as well about getting it out of an audition that feels more valid? Yeah, it feels way more legit. Yeah, than being sort of asked because yeah. they know you or... But then even the work that I have got through auditions before, there's the side of me that's like, well, you know, that was just a fluke that day. You can always justify it mm. one way or the other, can't you? Impulsive syndrome, Becca. This, was, this is, that would be my diagnosis. Oh, what thanks, Dr. Butterworth. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, so. Professor Butterworth. My dad at one point was the Reverend Prebendry Canon. No, the Reverend Canon Prebendry but- James Butterworth. The church loved that. That is the most, like, quaint, I don't know, like, wind in the willows. Fucking, yeah, literally. <laughs> can see him, like, skipping over a hill <laughs> with a cup of tea and a he probably would have done baked bread in his hand or something. Oh, my gosh. He honestly would as well. James. We love him. So we were also going to talk a little bit, kind of linked into this, yes. about performance anxiety. Yes. Because we realised we haven't really talked about this Mm. much on the podcast and this Mm. I don't know when I think about people actually I've had it quite a few times where I've tried to describe the podcast to people um which in itself I hate I hate when you say oh yeah I've got a podcast and people are like what's it about what's it about and then you try and describe a podcast I always talk for too long when I'm trying to describe it yeah I try and justify it it's really hard to like say in a short sentence but they're they're always like oh things musicians don't talk about well like performance anxiety yeah that's the first thing that comes to people's minds so what is your experience with PA Hattie um well put it this way if I had managed my performance anxiety better it's questionable whether I would be in the position I'm in today as you know a magazine editor Mm -hmm. instead of a cellist I think performance anxiety was a massive reason for giving it or putting it to the side Mm. because the day of a performance or leading up to a performance it took over so much of my brain and I know for some people that happens and it's not an OCD thing it's just kind of and a kind of obsessive fear I guess but for me as I was healing from my OCD I also saw when I perform I get quite triggered Mm. it's quite a triggering experience because I'm focusing on oh if I go that way to the venue will I play better than if I go that way and if I eat this before Will it go better than if I do this? Yeah. And is the fact that I only played it through twice today, does that mean that I've jinxed it? Yeah. Or if I only practiced two hours yesterday instead of four hours before, does that mean then that, you know, it's so much kind of obsessive superstition. Yes. That I kind of noticed this is, this is really similar to OCD mm. and... I just need to break from it. So I think, yeah, I, I, and still today, I genuinely feel like if I was to perform, the obsessions would be so intense about just that fear of like forgetting how to play your instrument or like the fear of memory slips. I think it's just so intense in my mind still that it's a big relief now not to have that on my mind. Yeah. So I think performance anxiety, as it was happening, 
I've very much viewed my mental health problems as separate to that. But now Ooh. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so ingrained in all of it. You know, yeah. that kind of underlying pressure of always knowing there was performance coming. And I was always dreading it and I'd pretend that I would enjoy it, but I wouldn't really. Mm. I was all, I always really did not enjoy performing. I enjoyed the relief afterwards. Yeah. And I kind of interpreted that relief as like, this is what I, this is why I love what I do. And it's like, you should, you're loving, you're loving the relief. You're not loving what you do. Yeah. So I think I had to have like a really stern chat with myself and be like, you know, you don't have to do this anymore. You yeah. don't have to put yourself through that. And that was like quite a big revelation, I think. I think, yeah, I, I always thought that if I didn't enjoy performing, then that makes me less a musician. So true. Because it's like, well, what yeah. is a musician other than a performer or an yeah. entertainer? If you're not enjoying that, then what are you doing? Hmm. And I also recognise that a lot of my performance anxiety is related to kind of underconfidence in myself as a person, which is stuff that I will continue to work on forever, I think, because of previous experiences with eating disorders and whatever. Um, I find that my performance anxiety is much better when my mental health is better or mm. my like self-acceptance is better. Mm. And as I've yeah worked on like bodily acceptance for instance my performance anxiety is also lessened mm. nothing is isolated that's so true i think i never really witnessed that as much mm. i definitely did have a kind of breakthrough period in my last year where i don't know what it was i kind of developed an apathy to performing and i don't know if that's because i was burnt out mm. and i just didn't really care anymore but that was quite funny because I, I remember saying to my therapist like I can perform now with that anxiety, but I also just don't feel anything. I don't enjoy it still because I just don't feel anything. I don't feel connected yeah. with music at all. Which is better? Like which yeah. one of those situations is? Well, I I was convinced that the uh, that the side of feeling nothing was way better because it meant that I just could get through it. I could get through it exactly, and I wasn't in like mental pain. I yes, guess. but it was a kind of wider than feeling of like, should I even be a cellist if I don't really? feel anything from this at all yeah um, what like is there anything in particular that helped you with performance anxiety um i think viewing the thoughts like treating the thoughts i guess in a cbt way yes. um and realizing that your actions aren't linked to your thoughts mm. at all and we kind of have this huge doubt as musicians that's like, if I don't play this through a trillion times, then mm. what could happen? But I think what really helped me was to like see, sort of catch myself in a thought spiral. I would often go through these spirals of like feeling a bit more confident and then ruminating and then kind of like diminishing my confidence. And then at another point in the day, I'd feel confident again and then I would like ruminate and feel really unconfident. And that would be like a cycle on a performance mm -hmm. day. And I think... I, I kind of got better at like spotting. That's interesting. My brain is doing that. Yeah. More objective. More objective and just kind of more like, I don't know, this is less about presenting yourself as a perfect polished version mm -hmm. and more about, I don't know. I've forgotten actually what I used to do. It's been so long now. I just, yeah, I don't really have any advice because I just yeah. never really figured it out. Yeah. And Which some... is powerful in itself. Yeah. Like, most people have a performance anxiety story and they only feel comfortable telling it because they've gotten through it. 
Mm-hmm. Or I hear a lot of people go, oh, I went to this performance anxiety coach. Like, they're amazing. Now I don't feel it at all. Like, you should check them out. And it's like, well, maybe that worked for you. And that's great. But you don't hear many people talking, especially, like, top tier, you know, international musicians who are still suffering with it. Mm. I guess it's like a lot of kind of mental health things. You often only hear about the things once people have gotten through it and feel that they're able to kind of voice it from hindsight a bit better. That's so true because it's like you you never really hear of someone deep in it. I think there is one documentary of Marta Argerich where they followed her around and there's a clip of her in bed on the day of a performance, mm-hmm. like really ill with anxiety. Oh gosh! Like, I think there have been a, a few films, but that's very rare that someone like yeah, you, you see like the rawness of how anxious they somebody can be. that famous as well. Yeah, exactly. So they've got to that point and they're still dealing with that. I think it's also like, especially with something like the piano. I mean, any instrument. It's so. It so relies on freedom Mm. in the end. And I think when you have an obsessive brain, you can overthink everything you do and you can dissociate to like the furthest corner of the room and you just don't feel in control of anything you're doing or playing. And it's it's really hard to bring yourself back from that space. Yeah. And I think when I was like deep in a performance, sometimes it would take me until like five minutes before the end to feel remotely comfortable mm. and I would come off stage like so upset because I just want to go back on because I was finally feeling in that flow a little bit more in the flow like and you know the half an hour before that had been like really painful mentally yeah just like get me out of this hell I don't I don't know how to calm down yeah I don't know how to relax like yeah but yeah have you performed yet with your have I performed yet have you performed with your beta blockers yet if you don't mind. No, not at all. Up. I've tried it a few times. Have you I, seen any difference? I kind of got to, yeah, a stage of apathy through them with performance. And I haven't used them in a while because I was originally prescribed them just for anxiety in general mm. rather than performance anxiety. So once I stopped taking them for anxiety, I think I just kind of didn't really think about them as a tool for performing as well. But yeah, definitely felt more just detached, which can like in those situations where I did use them was really helpful because mm. I was so it w- it wasn't just the music that I was anxious about. It would be like the socializing and I don't know, the traveling and it, it was all kind of too overwhelming. So actually having something to hold on to that was kind of reliable was really helpful for those situations. But I'm also really happy that I never really got into a kind of momentum of relying on them. Mm. Um, And I think I was very aware of that when I was first prescribed them. I had like a voice in my head that was like, oh, that's great. You've got these now. Like you can just use them for performing forever. And I'm really glad that I kind of stopped that thought and didn't let myself go down that path because yeah and I I am really interested in doing like a an interview series or something on the podcast about beta blockers Mm. because that is a huge thing that people don't talk about and it's so yeah so widespread and people are so ashamed of it I don't think anyone 
I've heard very few people open up about it, but I think there's been some surveys or something, and it, yeah, and the percentage is quite high. And the pe- and the number of people that don't get them prescribed from their own doctor but borrow somebody else's, yes, is <sighs> just fuck appalling. So hard. I mean, yeah, not sorry, not appalling as in it's their fault for. I'm not criticising those people for not getting it through their own doctor. I know that people have their own reasons and and stigmas and it's just but at the end of the day it's a heart medication isn't it you know yeah it's it's the the stigma is what's appalling Mm. whenever i go to a concert and watch someone playing a concerto i just can't ever see myself being in their position Mm. and feeling remotely comfortable yeah i could never envisage myself being a soloist on stage and not just having the worst time ever yeah (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was just me because i just watched them like you must be having such a hard time right now. But it's like so projected. Maybe they love it. I just can't imagine that. But then we we were going to mention this, weren't we? We went to Manchester. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was going to... Yeah. Good. Yes. Well done for remembering. Yes, continue. Yes, continue that. We went to Manchester for this International Women's Day event run by the beautiful ladies oh, of Empower. So good. Follow them on Instagram. Do it. But yeah, so we went and had the most beautiful evening and we were sort of on a panel with some other incredible women, which was Amazing. like such a privilege. Oh my gosh. But we started and I like had to kick off with the first question. <laughs> and I just got like, I don't want to use the word flashback with like flippantly, but I guess I just felt all the same emotions that I had felt playing solo cello because of the lighting and the setting. And I don't know what it was, but. I just felt that horrible anxiety freeze where you can't connect what's in your brain with what comes out in your mouth and you just feel paralysed. And it was really hard because after I'd said that, you also felt kind of anxious as well. And then we went down like the line of the panel and like everyone nailed it. It was so stressful. I was like, I'm the stupidest one here. Mm. The audience must think that, like, why on earth are they invited her? Like, But then I realised the privilege in speaking rather than playing Yeah, is that I could use it to my advantage a bit more. Well, yeah, then you brought it up and said, look, I'm feeling... Re- I can't remember what the question was that led you to then It was bring like, it up. what's the biggest issue... That's it, yeah. ...women face in classical music or something... It was just amazing that you actually kind of named what you were feeling. And when you did identify that and say it, quite a few of the panel Mm. resonated with that. And it was this moment of, again, I get bowled over every time there's some connection between me and somebody else that I admire. And you're like, oh, no, they're human as well. Mm. Like, everyone was a bit nervous to Mm. some extent, even though they were so eloquent. Mm. Mm. And it was a very kind of levelling experience to hear you Mm. say that. Mm. I guess you could say that when you've finished, say, in a recital, when you've played one piece, you could say to the audience, you know, I'm feeling really, really awful today and I feel like I don't deserve to be here. But you just just wouldn't hear that, would you? You worry that people will think that that's you trying to excuse your playing. Yeah, or like, this isn't what I've come to see. I haven't come to, like... Listen hear your to, life story yeah I've come to listen to you play perfectly yeah so it kind of felt like oh I felt really privileged that my anxiety could be like reduced by naming it 
in the moment. Yeah. And I don't think we have that privilege on stage so much. So before we finish, we would like to say a huge thank you to our patrons um, who have been supporting our work for ages now um, over on our Patreon channel. Um, I actually heard this on a different podcast the other day that really, I really liked the idea that people who are paying for the Patreon are paying for people who can't afford the Patreon to listen to for free. like that idea that you're kind of paying it forward you're supporting an artist that you want to support yeah so yeah i will we really wanted to shout out our beautiful patrons so thank you so 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 much to hugh melissa finula uh stuart who the hell is that (laughs) chiara holly seb nicola alice lucy francesca and becky Honestly, it means, I know I say this all the time, but it means the world that people want to give us £3 a month to just, I mean, basically, usually just hear us ramble on for an extra episode. There are also some blog posts that we do sometimes. And there are some blog little, posts. Little catch-ups and little behind-the-scenes things. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, please do follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook. Everywhere. Thank you so much for listening. All the love. Goodbye. Goodbye.